0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, it is my great pleasure to welcome Mark Gurman to the show. Welcome, Mark.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me.
0: Mark is the chief commercial officer at FreshBooks. They are an invoicing and accounting software platform for small businesses. And I think Mark even said micro businesses. We were definitely going to talk about what it's like to be a salesperson and to be a sales leader selling into micro businesses, which is almost B2C like. I've also got my trusty co-host, Amanda Georgeoff, on with me. Welcome, Mandy.
2: Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Mark. Looking forward to our discussion today.
0: We should have a good time. Well, Mark, we'd like to get to know people before we dive into the meaty topics around that we're going to talk about today. You know, around you know you have this product led growth strategy. You're leading elements of sales, support, partnership. You've been doubling and doubling your company over the past couple of years and continue to hit your stride. So we'll go there too. But to get to know you a little better, love to understand how you keep your saw sharp. How do you how do you stay smart about sales as you know as as your role evolves that you know, you've know you been able to pick up these elements of, of many different disciplines?
1: I think the first thing that I'm um, super conscious of is uh, there's a lot of great knowledge out there if one wants to go seek it. So whether you digest that in podcast format, whether you find the right networking forum. I also think um, one of the things that I've seen evolve in, in sales is in my career, coming up it was probably everyone emphasized the art of sales a little bit more and you know whether it was learning a few different you know sales motions or philosophies i think i've been probably spending a lot more time in the last five or six years learning the science so really getting into how to interact better with marketing how to interact better with all the data that's out there now about customers There's a ton of tools, as everybody knows out there, that can give you more than enough data uh, and you can get plowed under by it. But my view is that balance of art and science is what we need to come to uh, to to be better salespeople. So, um, you know, that's where I probably spend the vast majority of my time is, is trying to understand the science.
2: I love that. I agree with you. I've been in sales myself about 20 years. And I'd say the first 18 years were probably heavily focused on the art. Uh, And there was the absence of science. And now that pendulum has swung so far onto the science side. What parts of it do you think will always be art?
1: So I think the part that is art is no matter what, you know, sales cadence or philosophy, you got to find your authentic voice. You have to sell from a point of authenticity and so we spend a lot of time trying to help our sales folks find that voice and while we can give them a methodology we can say if you do these steps you'll be more successful or less successful but you got to figure out you know are you pitching as a challenger sales rep and you really want to you know love that part of you or maybe you're a little bit more of a you know a technical feature set seller and that's okay. You don't have to be one kind. You just have to know how to really accent, you know, the art that you, you care about. And then I think also you can't just learn it and then hope it, it persists over 20, 30 years. We're always saying, hey, what's, what's the next thing you're going to learn to do a little bit better? And, uh, you know, there's lots of great tools out there now that can show you where you're super strong in the process and not so strong in the process. And that's the science part. I know for myself as an early seller, you know, I was awful at cold calling. Awful. It just—it wasn't something that I really, really was good at, and I and I resisted it a lot. Um, And not till I had, you know, luckily a a boss who sort of said it's part of what you do, and it's part of uh, where you get a lot of your learning and your at bats at, and that's uh, you know so how I viewed it. I would never say I got to be best in class, but I was better than I have been
2: violently agree with you about the part that will always be art is your authentic voice as a seller. Um and I remember a specific manager I had earlier in my career who who transformed me in that respect. How do you how do you or your leaders, how do they coach reps to find that voice? Tactically, what can I do as a sales leader to help my reps find their voice?
1: Yep. Yeah. So I think you know the number one and and we've definitely in the last couple of years probably over indexed to Sales managers and sales directors who want to spend um, 60% plus of their time on calls with their reps, Uh, whether it's listening to them immediately, you know, recorded calls, there's not one, uh, hey, I'll listen to two calls and I'll have you on the right way. It it really is um, like a sports coach, like staying with that player for a long, long period of time can have. Just really compounding effects to one day, um, you know, they, they wake up and they're like, oh, now I get it. Now I know why all these components get together. And what we typically see a lot of times when we're bringing not new reps, i.e., they're new to selling, but new reps into FreshBooks is some get it right away and others take a little bit longer. And our job is to figure out the ones that are going to get there in the long term and, and spend that coaching time with them. And when they get it, they typically become peak performers and they stay you know, at or around 100% quota month after month after month.
0: You guys are, are growing so fast. You'd mentioned when we were talking before we pressed record that you grew from 40 to 80 reps over the course of the past year and are planning to grow to another 160 over the, the course of this year. When you're growing so fast, how do you actually detect whether someone is going to make it or not make it because otherwise you're carrying, you know, potentially a, a lot of uh, of substandard reps on the payroll
1: yeah so I think you know this is if I go back to my framework of art and science I would say to this point we've been able to get away with art by hiring coaches and really investing in that manager level and knowing they've been there done it before and built teams that have been uh, successful but I think the next step up that we're we're going to do we're starting to invest in a whole set of science tools that are going to help us, Know when you know. We think about our sales groups in pods, right? So we add pods of people. So that could be four or five more AEs in a region plus one or two BDrs to support them. And so, trying to get to the concept of like, is that a super efficient pod uh, of people? And as you bring new pods on, what can we scientifically look at from uh, reviewing what some of our older pods have done uh, and see if we can't accelerate the positives and find the, the negatives a bit earlier. So we've looked at a bunch of technology. I'm sure you've had, you know, uh, Sales Loft is one of them. Uh, we look at uh, other folks like Chorus and some of the people that can do more recording. and you can, you know, pull elements out of, of, um, of conversations to signal to you where, where are reps struggling and then be able to point the managers or even the directors or myself uh, to to sort of fix it versus having to wait six months and be like, well, that pot isn't producing; it's a failure. Let's turn them all turn them all out. Um, it's not usually the the answer that's the right answer.
2: Mark, what are some of your leading indicators there? One
1: leading indicator that we really try and focus on is for SMB. You know, we're typically dealing with a very inside sales, transactional uh, motion. Most of our sales are going to close within sort of two weeks to four weeks from first contact. So one of the things that's interesting is in that sort of environment, a lot of people forget to build pipeline. Like in enterprise, it's always like, I'm building pipeline. And then everyone thinks, oh, if it's just transactional, I don't need to build pipeline. But the deals that take a little bit longer that make the next month and the following month, it's how you're doing on on building pipeline. So one of the big things that we do is measure Activity between transactional sale and and pipeline build, and that actually um, give the reps weekly pipeline build targets. So they're not paid on them, but that's the that's the activity that we measure uh, a lot. And you know, lo and behold, people who build pipeline every week consistently are the ones who make quota, right? Uh, and you know, they're not waiting for the magical deal or you know that one big deal to to cross their path. But when it does, that's usually like 125 or 150% quote a month because everything else aligned and they get this special little bump.
0: you actually right where I was curious, which has to do with what the sales motion looks like in in your company. As you described, kind of targeting micro businesses, I'm on your website and you have public pricing and light to premium goes from $135 a year to $450 a year. So I'm just curious What is it like to build pipeline from an outbound perspective when you've got millions, right? Literally, maybe even tens of millions of potential customers.
1: Yeah. No, I I think if, uh, you know, you can cut and slice the SMB market uh, lots of different ways. We would say between the US and Canada, you've probably got an addressable market somewhere between 15 and 20 million customers and, you know. 2 to 4 million new starts every year as you know, more people become self-employed. That's definitely a, a big trend we we see and we've been riding uh, at FreshBooks is uh, in another, I think we think by 2025, 50% of the workforce is going to be out of your sort of typical Fortune 5000 and into these micro SMB businesses. That's just the trend of, of where things are going. So back back to your, your question, which is like building pipeline, I think for us is... This is where we marry a lot of the science with our marketing counterparts. And so what we're trying to do is attract people to our website. We have to be transparent because they're small businesses. They want to make decisions fairly quickly. They can go look at competitive sites. Everyone can price shop. It's super easy. But what we want to do is get you to the site. We want to score you as quickly as we can into sort of what we think are one of three categories of customers. So we we sort of have a lot of people on the micro side that we would call our dabblers, moonlighters, side hustlers. They may be doing it or they may be going full-time, but they're not quite sure, right? Um, Those folks, we want to get you into a free trial, onboard you in the app, low touch. The professionals are the next view up is like, hey, I'm not side hustling anymore. And then we're trying to determine, are you in a category that has a lot of money or a little money? So that the difference between someone who's a writer full-time and what they earn versus a management consultant or a high-end lawyer, very different. Um, and so we want to, again, separate you, get the the lower revenue generating ones back into the marketing funnel. And then th- at the high end of full-time, that's where we start to engage you with sales. And we can do that by forms or drift or scoring you and then doing outbound calling based on that. And then For the sales team, the the sort of the golden leads or the golden accounts are what we call scaling customers. So those are people who are actually building small businesses and we can see by marrying up data, do they have staff? Do they have revenue of certain sizes that make it uh, worthwhile to really put an inside sales outbound motion on those people? So, you know, that's the science that really helps us then say how much do you have to pour into each one of those, those buckets? Uh, to make the economics uh, work, it's a lot, but it's it does just become math after uh, after a while of if you can pour enough in the front end at the top of the funnel and your reps are efficient enough and you can increase average revenue per, per user, which is what you do a lot in, in the SMB game is what you land them for is not typically what they're going to be long term as a customer. And so we spend a lot of time and, you know, my favorite metric of all time down in this is LTV to CAC, right? It's really important in SMB to really understand that because if you get it right, you can push the envelope a little bit more, take on customers at a much smaller initial um, ARPU and then um, grow that uh, massively over time
0: in addition to the marketing funnel, I mean, I would imagine that, right, you guys have integrations into all kinds of other platforms. So I, I would think partner strategy is incredibly important. Any kind of, as you, I mean, you, you weren't, I presume you were not born knowing how to ink B2B partnerships. So what, what have you learned about partnering that, that you can share with our audience?
1: Yeah, no, it's great. Like if I take a little bit of uh Walk down memory lane for myself. I would say my history pre FreshBooks was much more enterprise and partners, for the most part, were really about implementation or they could help you get through the door. They were a gatekeeper to an eventual sale. And so, you know, typically the partnering uh, I did it historically has been more about system integrators and long sort of partnerships as trading sort of software for services. Here, Our biggest area of partnering to date has been around really finding other applications that our customers use, where the integration of FreshBooks with other software, uh, you know, good examples, Mailchimp, Shopify, we do a bunch of integrations with different project management, uh, payments, backbones, where that customer is going to have to cobble that together on their own. And can we make that a little bit easier for them? It's typically the same customer hunting in both of our ecosystems. And we get a lot of what I would call long tail acquisition from those um, partnerships. So they take a long time. They're not going to show up with you know 100 new customers the first month you turn them on. But there's lots of interesting partnering there that grows quite nicely over time. Um, it also ends up the economics that we've seen over time is you get almost like a, a double of ARPU for people who come in through integrations and it um, halves your average churn because that customer is more committed to your platform, another platform, you know, the workflow start to integrate and they're just a, a much better unit economic customer than, than we've ever seen. So that's a super long play, I would say. It wouldn't be the first thing I would do if I was, you know, start starting out. But if you can create a platform for other people to integrate. And accounting is fortunately a category where you can you can do that. Uh, has a lot of very long tail benefits.
2: What lessons from your time in enterprise were relevant when you were developing this partner strategy? I'm someone who's, my background is all in enterprise sales. If I were going to pivot into a, a market more like FreshBooks, what, what could I translate from my partner strategy and in enterprise into your current world? So, and this is, I think,
1: true across SaaS, but very true SaaS for SMB is you can't rely on a whole lot of service services revenue um, because that's just not the model that persists anymore. So our ability to attract you know, your typical reseller system integrators to sell us because they're going to do the services around it, well, there's not, there's not a bunch of services. So pivoting the value proposition uh, away to, and we've created categories where instead of us being, you know, sell the software, and then the partner gets the services. um, Maybe we're an integrated stack where they sell us as like a retained service. So instead of them uh, having to figure out, and I think the best people who've ever done this are are the HubSpot folks, where they've integrated their software into a service that, you know, the marketers sell, and and they make a monthly retained income, right? So that's, that's, one of the like the pivots around creating the services relationship that are different. But I, I think the thing that does translate the most for me coming out of enterprise is rarely does anybody hold the keys to a whole product solution for a single customer. Uh, and I think really spending a bunch of time and knowing what, what categories are super important for your customer to have you well, well integrated. So when I was back in my, uh, enterprise days, we were sort of always adjacent to the ERP system and a couple other data sources. And the, the better we got at those integrations, the faster our, our sales went, right? Here in the accounting space, there are similar adjacent places like payroll, like time tracking, like other things that ultimately either go into the invoice we're sending out or, uh, or an automatic uh, outflow of the accounting process. And so really mapping that and trying to be tight and almost ruthless, because I think anyone can walk up to you and give you a great explanation of why you should partner with them. I think you want to know why you want to partner with people and the value it's going to bring to your end customer, rather than just doing partner deals for the sake of doing partner deals.
2: Mark, as I mentioned, I I frequently use these podcasts as my own personal cabinet or sounding board. Uh, I have a unique opportunity to speak with brilliant commercial leaders like yourself. And what's top of mind for me, and I know you as well, is hiring. And you talked a little bit about it. Um, How do you test for something like coachability? in an interview scenario? I mean, that's, I love this idea of having a few metrics that you're looking for when you're bringing a candidate in the door. I struggle sometimes to figure out like, what's the right question to ask or the right scenario to present so that I can really determine this in an interview scenario?
1: It's a great question. And one, I think we struggled with longer than we should have. And then the obvious answer came to me later on, which was, why don't we go look at the people we think are highly coachable? Look look back in their past. And say, can we find uh, points that we could interview around that would bring coachability forward? So I'll give you a a really good concrete example. We used to use, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it like a a case study, but we used to give a a bunch of people these sort of Excel quizzes because you're sort of in accounting software where you you sort of got to know numbers a little bit. We also deal with payments data. So you got to be able to... Uh, do some of like what I would call basic financial calculator math and we used to use that as a like more like a skill set we now use it as a coachability thing because you can keep adding to that that problem set and the people who get really flustered and push you away and don't want to dive in with you and figure out where you're trying to go are not overly coachable the people who don't have to get it right but they want to understand why are you asking the question? Why are you adding this piece? Why are you doing that? Ended up being like one of the areas where that really gave us um, coachability. The, the second thing on, on coachability that we really try to um, figure out is, are there um, precursor experiences that we can lean on to say, if they came out of that environment, they probably took coaching very well. So um, examples for uh, examples for us is anybody when they were in university, because again, we're hiring people maybe a year or two out of university. Did they go into a, what I would call like a franchise-based business like up here in Canada, College Pro Painters, and you had to learn a methodology. You only had a certain period of time to make your money for four months. And and we look at people who got in there, were successful, and then translated that probably over to two or three summer jobs. They were coached. There's lots of coaching there, and the successful one sort of um, succeed. So I think for for and it's going to be different depending on where where a rep is on the. You know, on the, on the flip side, I've run enterprise reps where any of the reps that I hired could actually have been the VP of sales themselves, and some of them were ex-VP of sales. And so, you know, we needed different metrics to talk about coachability there. And what those folks really had to demonstrate to us is, did they actually really want to only sell the way they've always sold enterprise, or did they want to actually learn what, what wins and what wins deals based on five years of data that we can share with, with reps. And that's always the bigger one on the enterprise side. How
2: did you test for that?
1: We actually looked for, and this is the, we were hiring very senior people, right? So the, these are people who are 15 plus years in there. We actually hired uh, and, and looked for people who in previous jobs had wanted to get involved with sales methodologies with mentoring others like again looking for little and we end up hiring a bunch of people who are who were sales managers because they had done that and now they're coming back to be individual contributors and everyone's like oh that's a nightmare don't hire the people who've done that before they're just going to tell you what to do and i'm like no no they've been to the they've been to the mountain they know it's a really crappy job they now want to make money as individual uh contributors and they know that methodology can make a sales force. And they and nine times out of 10, those people came in and they were like front and center at the table. They were learning it really quick. They were yanking anybody in from the organization that could improve their chances of, of succeeding in a sale. And so again, I think it was just drawing on where do you find the little indicators that might be good beacons to people who are coachable.
0: Having been a, a former engineer, I come from the science side. And I have studied this exactly what you just said, which is people who were sales managers who go back and to become AEs. That's a great profile. They're they're often so they're often so successful. I was also writing down as you were saying that that coachability is a learned behavior, especially people who come out of college. I mean they they. You know, they have not, they've been working in a different environment, right? Where it was, it was a definitive grade and a definitive assignment due on a certain day. And the workforce is not like that.
1: So you also got to remember your competitive set. You have chosen a path where you're now with people who um, are as book smart as you are. And, you know, coachability experience, uh, it's a different learning gene. Um, It isn't smartest person in the room. Don't we read everywhere that, you know, to be a successful manager, you got to hire people that are smarter than you. So, you know, I think when you come out and you're an early salesperson person, you got to flip that on its head and be like, I don't know a lot. I may be very smart, but I have not like put the, the meter of smartness up as it comes to real world skills. And the best reps early on are just, you know, give me as much information. I'm a sponge. I'm a sponge. And that'll pay itself back uh, time and time again.
0: Well, I was going to close by asking you for a uh, significant leadership management sales epiphany, but I didn't even have to ask because you just you just gave it to us right there. <laughs> so, it was such a pleasure having you on. Since you're hiring so rapidly, I'm sure people will hear that and want to get in touch with you to find out about, about opportunities or to find out more about FreshBooks. What's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, uh, go to our website, freshbooks.com backslash careers. Uh, you can search by geography or job role we've got a great set of recruiters out there that can give you an idea of what it's like also hit any of my sales team on linkedin they're my best recruiting uh vehicle so hit them all up ask them you know is it good is it bad here yeah come join us we're having a lot of fun so uh, hopefully um there'll be people who listen to us who want to come and get in touch with us
0: awesome thank you so much for being on today
2: brilliant thank you mark
0: Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.